Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. plus years ago as Christ was born, there weren't too many that bowed their knees at the feet of the baby Jesus. Some shepherds, several years later, obviously the wise men. Eight days after he was born, Simeon understood and recognized who Jesus was. And even his disciples struggled throughout their ministry with him of understanding who Jesus really was. Seems like Jesus' ministry was about getting great crowds, but as he then challenged them about who he was and what it would cost, he would shed them. And at the end, it says somewhere in Scripture, I believe around 500 people of his believers saw him um, rise up into heaven after his resurrection. And his church started in Acts with 120. But as Phil read that verse, I couldn't help but be struck in the fact that one day every knee will bow. I want to finish a message that isn't necessarily a Christmas message, but in a whole, it really is. I think almost every message is Christmas because it's just speaking of what Christmas uh, put into plan, the redemption plan, or actually it was another act in, in God's redemption plan from the beginning of creation. And we've been looking at some things that you and I are always interested in. When we look at Scripture, remember we said a lot of us approach Scripture as a book that has all the answers or some things. And I've been speaking on the fact that if you're looking in Scripture to find out who is it that I'm to marry or what school am I to go to or what am I going to do for a living or how do I do this, what is God's will for my life, or try to find out all the things that we're interested in, what we come across is disappointed because you're not going to find who you're supposed to marry in the Bible. That may be disappointing to some of you. You will not find your next employment contract in Scripture. You will not find where you're supposed to live, whether you're to sell your house or not to sell your house. That's not the purpose of the Bible. But I will say, if you're looking to get married, the Bible will tell you what type of man and woman you are to be and what type of man and women you're to look for it will tell you what, maybe not what job to do, but it will tell you how to work in that job and how to honor your, uh, your employer or, be, or, or to respect your employees. So there are things in which Scripture talks about, but many times the things that we are interested in, God has no interest in. Many times we're asking all these big questions. You know, have you ever talked to a philosopher? Remember Socrates. Socrates is probably one of those guys that at the end of the day, you'd probably want to strangle him. Because Socrates, all he did was ask questions. Remember that? But he never gave any answers. He says, I'm just asking questions. I don't have the answers. Now, Plato and then Aristotle, and I, I, I never remember which one came. I think Aristotle, then Plato. They started to write down and start to try to answer more things, and hence we get you know, the Greek, Roman, Western uh, civilization, the philosophy. And they're asking all these big questions, and we're all wanting them to be answered. But what we've been finding out the last two weeks and then today is that God isn't as interested in those things as we are. 
we've been looking at God is interested in three things. And the first one we looked at is that God is really interested in securing our allegiance to his kingdom. When he said, came, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Come and follow me. So he's looking for men and women who would say, count on me. Sign me up for your team. I want to embrace not only the cross and all that it means, but I want to embrace your kingdom. And we've spoken of that and what that entails. His kingdom, remember, is invisible. It's not a political, national land issue. There is no place where you can say, where is the kingdom of God? God says it's here and there. You'll never find it because it's within you. So the kingdom of God is within the hearts of those who have repented and said, I want to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. And so he's been trying to secure our allegiance. Now we talked about the church. Why is the church so important? Because it's a community of all those who have said, we embrace the kingdom of God. So when we are here, the kingdom of God has a portion. In other words, when people come to our church, when they deal with us, when they deal with you, you are giving them a piece or a taste of what kingdom life is all about. Which is scary because sometimes churches are not so much about kingdom life. Sometimes Christian families aren't all about Christian life. Hence why we have to secure our allegiance and say, I need to swear allegiance. I need to be committed to the kingdom of God. Which then led us to the second thing that God is interested in. Not only in securing our allegiance, but also establishing our faith. And that's what we looked at last week. He wants to establish our faith. Once we've made that decision to say, I am satisfied with God and his kingdom, then what he wants to do is he wants to make it stronger with us in which we live out kingdom values. We see the kingdom values very clearly in Matthew chapter 5 in what we call the Beatitudes. We see that in the fruits of the Spirit. We see that when it says to love one another, to encourage one another. How many have been in churches which you don't find kingdom values? Yeah, we all have. And hence, one of the things we've been really pushing for the last three to five years is we need to live out those values. My home, my marriage, my relationship with my children, my relationship with my neighbors, my relationship with everyone should be lived out in kingdom values. That of love, that of forgiving others, that of praying for my enemies. All the things that make it difficult. That's what he means when he says establishing our faith. So he wants to secure our allegiance, and then he wants to establish our faith, make us strong in it, in the fact that we don't turn back and go back to our kingdom. And we realize that is there's two kingdoms that are fighting, my kingdom and God's kingdom. See, really, when it comes down to it, I need to upsert myself from my own throne. Which leads us then to the third thing that God is interested in. Not only in securing our allegiance, not only in having us establish our faith, but the third one, if you're taking notes, is nurturing a desire for holiness. Nurturing a desire for holiness. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, let's start looking at verse 1. He goes on, Peter is writing to the church and he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy 
and envy and all slander. Put those all away. But look at verse 2. Like newborn babies, he says, infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it that you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What is he saying there is you need to get rid of all those things that you had a desire for, all those things that tasted good to you before. In other words, we talk about anger. There are some that taste anger, and to them, anger is very good. Think about it. Have you ever struggled with someone that has a temper? You know, we learn to walk on eggshells. What is it? They enjoy that. They have a desire for that. And you say, no, I struggle with the temper and I like to get rid of it. But yet, if we don't like it, what do you do? Get rid of it. Think about it as a child. Some of you might have grandchildren or children. Or you might remember the time. If there is something that you don't like to eat, will you eat it? Not unless you have to. You'll go all around. And I'm one of those ones. I am a picky eater. Most of you know that it's to my wife's dismay that I'm one of those ones that struggle. And when people invite us over, they always have to ask, well, what is it that Rob will eat? You know, I'll tell you, fudge with walnuts, always, always a good sign. Or brownies with walnuts, those that never fails. But as I've grown older and the fact that my love is starting to grow a little bit more and I'm, you know, trying to love her, my tastes have grown a little bit better. Why? Because I desire to please her and to make her happy. And by the way, she's a good cook, by the way, if anyone's ever. And so I had to develop a desire to please her and a desire to eat something different. Because left to my, you know, left to me, well, I would probably eat the same meals every day. I go to a restaurant, I get the same thing. Why don't you try that? I don't have a desire to try anything new. If I find one thing that I like, I'm sticking with it. I don't trust anybody. That's how it is. But so someone that has a temper, they desire it. To be honest, that's really what it is. Why? Because we're sinful people. Now, we may not like the effects of what it brings. We may regret the damage that a temper and anger produces. But yet, it's not enough to change us. Why? Because to be honest, we desire something more. When you're struggling with sin as a Christian, the reason why you fall to that sin is because you desire that sin more than the promises of God. When God says, love your neighbor as yourself, but you, and he says to love your neighbor yourself, means that then you must forgive someone who's hurt you, even if they don't ask forgiveness. You ever find that difficult? Come on, be honest. Ever find that difficult? I have. But what happens is, when he says you are to forgive, God's promises, that will taste better. You will be more satisfied if you do that. We say, no, I don't trust the promise of God. I'd rather not forgive. I'd rather hold the grudge. We desire it that way. When a man is struggling with pornography and he's married, he desires that more than he desires the good gift of his wife. When a young child rebels against you, against a parent, when a parent says, no, don't do this, he desires to please himself more than he desires to please his parents. In other words, I don't trust God to honor and obey my parents will be as good or taste as good as disobeying him. 
And so God is saying here, I want you to desire holiness. I need to nurture that. And so he says here, so put away all those bad tasting things. They will not satisfy. Now we've spoken before. Sin will satisfy you. Okay. Anyone who tells you that if you sin, you will not like it is lying. You will enjoy it. But what does the Bible say? Sin is good for a season. You may taste something and it tastes good, but do you ever taste anything and the first point it's good, but then it leaves a bad or rotten aftertaste? That's what sin is. And so we have to realize he's saying here, get rid of all those things. I want you to nurture like newborn infants. Like newborn infants, he says, long for pure spiritual milk. We've all had children, babies, most of us. You know, they just go for the milk. They desire it. They cry for it. And they're not satisfied until you give it to them. He says, be like that, like a newborn child, long desire pure spiritual milk, which comes from where? God's word, which tells us how to be satisfied. He says that by it, you may grow up. In other words, you may sit in here and say, you know, I've been a Christian for five months, for five years, for 50 years. I don't seem to be growing. I still struggle with the same sins that I did five years ago, ten years ago. And we all have those besetting sins. You know what the problem is? We are not desiring newborn or pure spiritual milk. We desire something else. That's what scripture, because he says that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, you're someone who has accepted Christ. He goes on in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12, he goes and says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but inside of God chosen and precious. Speaking of Jesus, he's been, he's been um, rejected by his own, but to God he's precious. In verse 5, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice that are acceptable to God. Look at verse, uh, let's jump down to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, speaking of those that have sworn allegiance to his kingdom, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's establishing faith. That's saying, hey, everyone, I'm satisfied with the kingdom of God. Come and join us. Join our group. Once you were not a people, but now you are gods. Once you've not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as a sojourner and an exile to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage wars against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, or to those that are not saved honorable, so that when they, those that have not sworn allegiance, those that are not Christians, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the good day of the visitation. Father, we come before you and help us to understand what you're interested in. What does it mean to nurture a desire for holiness? I pray that your spirit would have free reign. Let me speak clearly 
and honestly and with integrity your word. And may we respond in the way that you've called us to. In your name we pray. Amen. Kevin D. Young, he's a pastor in, in um, Indiana, wrote this. He says, I have a growing concern that younger evangelicals do not take seriously the Bible's call to personal holiness. He says, I have a worry that people do not take seriously that God has called us to personal holiness. We are too at peace with worldliness in our homes, too at ease with sin in our lives, and too content with spiritual immaturity in our churches. And I would have to say that I agree with him. Because there are many times that as long as things are going okay, as long as the bills are getting paid, as long as you don't have a lot of fights going on, you're okay with things are. But what's happened is, is that the church, the very thing that's to promote, to pronounce, and to proclaim the holiness of God is no longer holy itself. You've got members or people in the church who come in and their lives are not holy at all. It's not uncommon to be in a, be in a church where the night before there were some of the members, they're out drinking and partying and doing whatever, then they come, they do whatever it is they think their, their duty is, and then they go back and they never pick up the Bible, never say the name of God except in a swear word all week. In other words, they say they've sworn allegiance. They decided, hey, I have a strong faith, but yet their whole life is contrary to the very thing. Let me ask you, what are some things that you've listened to this week? What are some things that you've looked at, that you've read what are some things that you've done this week? Have they been holy? Have they been things that if Jesus was walking with you, you would do? Are they things that if your parents knew, you would be okay with it? And I find this the hard way. How many of us have not done this? We watch a movie and we say, boy, that was a good movie. And we, we tell someone about it or we sit down and watch it with our kids. And all of a sudden we say, oh, I forgot that was in there. Oh, we got to fast forward through that. I realized soon enough that I, my life wasn't holy my, in my viewing when we'd come back from the video. Remember old video stores where you actually go get a video and all of a sudden you're hiding the video so the kids don't see them? Or you wait till the kids go in bed so you don't? Or you're having to fast forward through all the scenes? Let me tell you, if you're having to fast forward through a bunch of scenes, maybe there's not anything redeemable in there. As good as some of it may be. And I'll have to tell you, I struggle with that. Because I'm a movie guy, and I want to watch it, but it's like, oh, it has that scene, well, I'll fast forward to it. Okay, do, 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 do. Then I back it up. Oh, not, not fast enough. Once it's there, it's there, is it not? What's that old computer term? G-I-G-O. Garbage in, garbage out. And we wonder, why isn't our churches preaching the gospel? Why aren't our members' lives change? Why is it that people who have been going to church for years are still struggling with the same sin? There's no desire for holiness. We're okay. I've got my hell, get out of hell free card. And I'm hanging on to that. I'm not going to hell, but I can live like it right now. How about you? Do you have a desire for holiness? Do you have a desire to live more like God has called you to do? We talk about that phrase. What would Jesus do? Remember that phrase? It was so important. Maybe you have the t-shirt. Maybe you got a bumper sticker. Maybe it's on your, your computer screensaver. But the question is wrong in the fact. Why in the world are you asking, what would Jesus do? 
To be honest, most of us know what Jesus did. What we need to do is we need to change it to not what Jesus do, but do what Jesus did. Isn't it amazing that every religious leader for the last 2,000 years have always set up Jesus as the, one of the greatest moral teachers? I think almost every religion I think I can think of, every great philosopher would say, you need to follow Jesus. Everyone believes that except the followers of Jesus. <laughs> They're the very ones that don't want to be the ones that have the type of holiness that God's called to. First off, you may be struggling. You say, well, you know, I think I want to desire for holiness, but what does it mean? Because when I think of holiness, does that mean then that, uh, I remember one person asked me, should we all live a monastic type lifestyle? In other words, should we all then just give everything away? Be like a Buddha. Remember the story of Buddha who was a very rich man from what I understand and sold all of his belongings, left his wife and children to find the road to enlightenment. Is that what I should do? Or should I be like some of the monks of the old times? Should I, should I just go to a life, put on a, a ruffle robe and just pray and, and make candles all day? That's not what God is calling. Holy does not mean separate yourself and put yourself in a box and never enjoy any of life. Because I have to tell you, God has created all things. And all things, he said, are good, but now they are warped by sin. But yet there are many things that God has given us to enjoy. And so what we have to find is in what things has God redeemed and what things are not redeemable. Let me give you an illustration of holiness. This comes from John Piper. And I would recommend John Piper to anybody. He has a website called DesiringGod.org. All of his messages, even his books are on free. I mean, you can get them on PDF, put them on your, on your little Kindle or ebook, or just read them from the computer or even print them out. But I tell you, the man has been sent to do some mighty things. But listen to what he writes here. He says, holiness has the root idea in the Old Testament of being separated from what is defective and evil and separated for God. Let me give you again. Holiness is in which something is separated from that which is defective and evil and separated for God. So it's something that says, I do not want this to be tainted. The Sabbath is holy to the Lord. So that was the one day that we were to set away for good things. We separate. We say, well, we won't do anything that is bad on those days. You know, give God at least one day. We're separated from the pursuits of other days and dedicated to the Lord. The priests are holy to the Lord and set apart from ordinary pursuits and dedicated in a special way to the Lord. And that's the same thing in which we didn't come to God because then we see that when we apply the definition of holiness to God, we see that God is holy and that he is set apart from all that is evil and effective and impure. Hence, we have the problem with man. God is wonderful and holy, but yet we are defective, impure, and evil. So God has separated himself from us. In Psalms 99, here's the call. It says, exalt the Lord our God, worship him, find that he is worthy at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Psalms, though, goes and asks the question, who shall ascend to that hill? Who shall stand in his holy place? Who can come before the Lord to even worship him? 
The answer is found in verse 4 where he says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Unfortunately, all of us fail in that fact because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There are none that seek to do good. And you say, wait a second, I seek to do good. There are others who do good, and it's true. We, in our finite way, can do good, but even our good, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. In other words, even our good works do not measure up to God's holiness. God wants us to be holy. He's commanded us to be holy. In 1 Peter, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you to be holy yourself, also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. What God is interested in doing is before that day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess, God says, I am interested that you swear allegiance to me. That you would see that living for yourself is unsatisfying. That you will see that there is no good in it. And that you would embrace me and all that I am. And once we do that, God is interested in establishing that faith and making it strong in the fact that we don't look back and say, boy, I wish I had that. You ever do that in life? Boy, remember when we used to, and you think of all the good times? And let me tell you, in the Christian life, it's a struggle. Remember I shared that? You don't have a problem with God, right? But God has a problem with you. You're unholy. You can't approach him. He says you're defective, you're impure. But the whole purpose of the Christmas story is that he loved us in the point, he says, I am going to make a way to make them holy. Not in the fact that we can be completely obedient. Not in the way which I am never, ever going to not do sin. But he creates a way in which we become holy. And we're going to look at that here in a second. So once we establish the faith, he says, now they need to have a nurture. I need to nurture that. I want them to have a desire to be holy. And I think it's key is the desire to be holy because God knows that you and I cannot be completely holy. Now that's good news to me because if he commands me to be holy, and I want to tell you, when I look at myself, I don't see much in the mirror that makes me good. Because I know myself. When I look in the mirror, I see right through all the facades, all the masks that I put up, just as you do the same. You know, we've said it before, I've said it before here in, in, in the services, that church really ought to be called not church service, but a masquerade ball. Because as you come through the door, you know what you do? We all put up our masks, don't we? Are happy go? How many of you have had it where you're driving in the car? If you've got little kids, I know this has happened. You're yelling, you're screaming, they've been late. Just you just be quiet back there and all that, you know. And then all of a sudden you get in the car and everyone's let's be good now. Or you remember the old joke, you know, you probably had this with your mom or dad. She's yelling at you. Mark Lowry has a little thing with her. I can't believe you guys are so bad at me. And the phone's ringing. And she's walking over to the phone. I can't believe you kids. I'm going to spank you as soon as mom's on the phone. Hello. 
I'm not this person. I'm more like this one. But what God says that he's interested in is not making me holy to the point where I sin. That time will not come until I die. And to be honest, I'm not so interested in that happening too soon. I mean, I want to get to heaven, but the way to get to heaven, there's two ways. Either Christ comes and takes us in the rapture or I die. I like one, except it longs as quick because I don't like heights. The other one, I'm not so keen on. But as we look at here, he wants a desire. He wants to nurture a desire for holiness. So I want to ask, what's your desire to please God? Do you desire? Do you desire to read God's word? Sometimes I question our people who will say, I love God's word. I want to be like, but you never read. How in the world could you ever know how to be holy if you never pick up his, his Bible? If that's the type of person you are, I want you to try this. I want you to turn to your spouse. Turn to your spouse. Tell him you love him. Tell him you, want, you, you, you care for him so much. Okay, then when you walk out the store, do not talk to him until next Sunday. Don't email. Don't write a letter. Just go to bed, turn your backs to each other, just go to sleep. When you wake in the morning, look at each other, maybe dust off a little bit, you know. But isn't that how you treat the Bible? Isn't that how you treat God? Why? Because we have no desire to come before God. Husbands, take time to pray with your wives. Take time to read a little bit. Fathers, take time to read Scripture. Again, it's one of the things I'm giving you my heart because these are the things that I struggle with. Maybe your struggle is different than mine, but I bet that we're pretty much close together. Five minutes to say, how can I be more like God today? When you start to raise your voice, when you start to get angry, you start to hold a grudge, say, wait a second, this doesn't taste good. I know how this is going to end. Lord, give me a desire to love you more. Give me a desire to be more forgiven. Give me a desire to read more of your word. Give me a desire not to be angry. Give me a desire not to be hateful. Why? Because God has called us to be holy. J.C. Ryle said this, listen to this. How incredible it is that we do not hate sin more than we do. Because when it comes down to, again, the desire for holiness is because you desire sin more. He says, how incredible it is that we do not hate sin more than we do. Sin is the cause of all the pain and disease in the world. Do you realize that? This year is um, my brother's, you know, he passed away seven months ago. He has five children that uh, yesterday when they woke up, their father was not going to read the Christmas story to them. Some of you are also in the same way. Someone was missing. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin, death entered the world. To you and I, we think of just sin as just something. But sin is not, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. It's the reason why we sweat when we work. It's the reason why it's so hard to make a living. It's why marriages wind up uh, exploding sometimes or the struggles that you have. We don't hate sin. We tolerate, we've made friends with it. We've got a compromise going with it. God did not create man to be an ailing and suffering creature. It was sin and nothing but sin which brought in all the ills that flesh is heir to. It was sin to which we owe every racking pain and every loathsome infirmity and every humbling weakness to which our poor bodies are liable. 
Let us keep this ever in our mind. Let us hate sin with a godly hatred. Do not desire it because in a mist you may enjoy it for a little bit, but sin destroys. You got to get that. It destroys lives. It destroys marriages. It destroys relationships. There's no good thing of it. C.S. Lewis writes a story, and I will not get it totally correct, so I'm going to paraphrase it. He says it's like little boys who are, who are sitting in the mud and making mud pies. Taking mud, praying, making mud pies. And they enjoy those mud pies so much in the fact that they don't realize how good a chocolate cream pie is. And that story used to kind of say, oh, how cute and quaint. But it didn't come to life to me till I read about children in Haiti. Remember when they had the earthquake in which food was getting so hard that kids or families were making, taking dirt and making pies of them, and that was their substance for the night. All of a sudden, when I read that story, C.S. Lewis comes to mind. And the thing is, is when they see that, you and I would say, oh man, I don't want any of that. But to those young swollen bellies, they're desirous that they probably famish and grab that and take it never realizing what a chocolate cream pie might taste like or maybe something more nutritious. But you and I are the same way. We're sitting there and our mouths are just, are just covered and our bellies are full of dirt and grime left by the sin that we're just eating, never realizing that God has something better for us. Or we've tasted the goodness of God, but yet we continue to go back to the mud and wallow because we remember the good old days. And that's where some of our friends are. Sometimes life's easier when I'm knee deep in mud. Don't let it be so. If you're here today and you swore allegiance to God, if your faith has been established, he's trying to work that do not desire the things that kill, but desire the things that give life. Hebrews 12.4 gives us this. We looked at it last week. But he says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. What is he saying there? He's saying some of you are struggling with sin. You're in that battle and you desire a little bit of holiness, but yet the lure of sin in the flesh is so strong that you keep coming back. You resist a little bit, but your resistance is futile. Why? Because all it takes is a little bit of a temptation to get you there. It's like a man who's walking with his wife and sees a pretty girl, and what does he do? He turns around and he watches. How many of us would say how sad it would be if that man just took off and followed another pretty woman? Ah, you fight it. You struggle with it. But he says the problem is, is that there are Christians today in their struggle against sin, in their desire for holiness, they're here, here, here. But once it becomes too difficult, once the call here becomes too strong, we stop resisting. He says you need to resist to the point that you're shedding blood that your walk to here has to be so difficult. There will be times that you will leave the goodness of God and get yourself back in the mire. That will happen. But it ought to become more difficult as we grow stronger in Christ. The desire to go back there, it should take more and more of this grime to entice us back. 
to the point that maybe one day God will deliver us from that totally. We need to desire holiness. Holiness happens when we become ever aware of God, when we become ever submitted to Him, when we're ever trusting Him, when we're ever guided by Him, and we're ever hoping in Him. I pray that you would pray today for that desire for holiness to be set apart, to be separated, to desire the goodness of God. Psalms 1-7 says this, For He, God, satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. The reason why so many of us today do not desire the goodness or the holiness of God is because we have filled ourselves with the things of the world, with sin and the grime, and no longer can we taste the goodness of God. Let that that be so. I'd like to close with this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul writing says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Father, we thank you for your holiness. And Lord, we understand that we cannot be right before you or stand right before you or approach you because of our own holy state. But yet in your love and in your sovereignty, your providential care, you have made a way through the Son, through your Son, Jesus Christ. In the fact, through His holiness, those of us who swear allegiance to you, Lord, you'll establish our faith, and Lord, you'll give us the desire to become more holy. Lord, I pray that you would give us the desire to be holy. Help us in our struggle with sin. Let us not look back to the days of old. Let us not acquire a taste for those things that are unholy. But Lord, as you've commanded us, Lord, to put away all those former things and look to you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.